Hello, listeners. I'm Andrew Dorowski, producer of this podcast, and I just want to give you a brief update on this episode. We recorded it a few weeks ago, and the format for it is our old format. You may have noticed that we switched over to doing a brief 20-minute synopsis of of most of the works, and then going into character details. And this one is the old style where we would do the synopsis and the character details at the same time. So we're not reverting back to the old ways. This was just recorded earlier, and we hope you enjoy it anyway. And I'll let you get on to your complimentary outtake. Joseph, Joseph, use the chair that is not not a, a, a padded wing armchair. <laughs> I wanted to sit in the wing back. It's inconvenient to move. <laughs> It's much more comfortable. Undoubtedly bad for your speaking posture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist. I'm Todd Mack here with Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Superman from All-Star Superman, a comic book miniseries written by Grant Morrison, drawn by Frank Quitely. Is that how we say that? Yes, Frank Quitely. It's a. It's not his real name. It's a play on Quite Frankly. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. What is his real name? I don't know off the top of my head. I don't think he wants us to know. I've never heard of someone doing like a nom de paintbrush. <laughs> Frank Quitely. I like it. And inked and colored by Jamie Grant. The series was published between 2005 and 2008. It won an Eisner Award, uh, the Eisner Award for Best New Series in 2006, and Eisner's for Best Continuing Series in 2007 and 2009. Which this is only 12 issues, so it's a little drawn-out continuing yeah, series. Yeah, apparently. This would, uh, normally I think would have been called a miniseries, but because it was so, almost so sporadically published, I guess I got, it fell into the continuing series category. Cool. Um, yeah, sometimes publishers, when they're doing a story like this, they will... Um, well, well, like the the Infinity Gauntlet, we, you, we got a substitute artist for the last couple ones because the primary artist was falling behind. Right. But more recently, uh, publishers have had an eye on the secondary market of the collections, and they like to keep the exact same creative team on for an entire run. And so you're more likely, I think, today to see a delay than you would have been in the 70s, 80s, and 90s because they would have just put in a fill-in art- artist on a series. Cool. Well, I'm glad that they did it how they did it because the art is really beautiful in this. Yeah, I, I'm very yeah. fond of. Well, Morrison and Quitely have have their reputation for working together, bringing out the best of each other. There's you know other writer artist pairings that you know th- they just make something special when they work together, and it never is quite as good when they work with someone else. Yeah, and Morrison and Quitely is is one of those. How many other? Different um, collaborations? Do you think they've done Joseph? I, I mean, they did know, New X Men, which they did is New X Men, We Three, a few others. This is our producer Andrew Pop again with an insight that yeah, uh, Morrison and Quietly are definitely a, a noted pairing uh, for creativity in in the comic book industry. Cool. So, how did you come across this, Joseph? Um, it was one that I was uh, reading, you know, comic books regularly. And this was a new line. The All-Star line was supposed to be an entire line of comic books that DC Comics was going to do where they were putting the best writers and artists together to tell uh, what was going to be an iconic story of the character they were doing. And initially they announced, I want to say four, maybe even five or six, but only two were ever produced. This All-Star Superman, which was a a great success critically and also sales-wise. The other one that was produced was All-Star Superman. All-Star Batman. Or, sorry, All-Star Batman. Yeah, which had um, Jim Lee was on the art, and the author, the writer was Frank Miller, and that one was not. Not a success. <laughs> not a success, critically. Uh, I think it sold well, at least initially, uh, but it, it kind of went off the rails. And both of the series were plagued a bit by delays, and I think that may have been part of why we... We didn't see the the other ones that are announced. There was going to be an All Star Wonder Woman and All Star Batgirl. I know for sure were announced but never produced. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the, these were supposed to just be standalone stories that were cut free from the complex continuity of the DC universe yeah. and allowed the the storytellers to just tell what was supposed to be a grand iconic story. Which, in the case of All Star Superman, it did. In the All Star Batman, did not. <laughs> well, uh, I came across it because. Um, I get these email updates from Comixology uh, when they have deals, and this was uh, they they were having a Superman sale, so they were selling the whole All Star Superman for five bucks. 
So I sent you a message and I said, which of these Superman titles is the best? And you said this one. And so I grabbed it and I'm glad I did. So this is you read it on first time for this podcast. One and one and only time uh, last week. I think I, I read the issues when they were coming out, and I read them all at once after the twelfth issue came because they'd been <laughs> spread out across three years. I kind of lost uh, the the thread of the story, and then I reread it in prep for this podcast. Yeah, I read them all in one afternoon. I read the whole thing in a couple hours. And this has also been produced as an animated movie. Uh, DC Comics has done a series of direct-to-DVD animated films of some of their most famous storylines, and this was one of the one of the first ones they did, I think. Really, in the in the new wave of doing it, yeah, because they did some films back with the animated series in the '90s in the Justice is it on, stuff. Is it on Netflix? Used to be. I don't think Not it is anymore. now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure. Oh, I'm just looking it up. You can usually find some of these. Uh, direct DVD animated movies in the you know five dollar or less DVD bins. At yeah, Walmart. the bargain bins. Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you see, All Star Superman. I, it, it's a pretty good adaptation. They cut uh, some of the issues entirely. Like there's no mention of the Bizarro storyline at all. Oh, that's uh, um, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the odd ones. That's just fine for me. Uh, so they had to streamline it. I think it's like a, it's a little over an hour. So yeah, it's pretty streamlined. It's very impressive that they duplicated Quietly's style. In animation, that was actually very carefully done and, and painstakingly done, but it really is important that it be that way. I think. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the nineties, whenever they did anything animated, they they had kind of a house style and everything had the same look. And in the last five years or so, when they've been doing these direct DVD ones, they try and preserve uh, at least a semblance of the original artistic style. Cool. All right. So uh, you want to do a, give us a spoiler free synopsis? Okay. So the the quick version of this is uh, we're coming in as Superman is well established as being Superman. This isn't an origin story about how he becomes Superman. He just is Superman and he's doing his thing and. Uh, he gets exposed to a massive overdose of solar radiation. And in this version of Superman, and this is kind of the contemporary uh, way that we explain Superman's powers, is it's Earth's yellow sun empowers him. And with this overdose, he gets he kind of becomes supercharged, and he knows he's going to die. Um, the, the, the power is going to overwhelm him. And so this is his last time on Earth, is being told in these stories of, of what would Superman do when he knows he's going to die. So if that sounds interesting to you, um, you can get a you can find a link to purchase this on Amazon in our show notes, um, or you, you can find it on Comixology, and uh, go give it a read and come back. Yeah, and Andrew, do you know is there an absolute edition of this one? I don't know. I've got the the single collection which you borrowed. If there is um, an absolute edition, buy that from the show notes. It costs over a hundred dollars. It's super sized. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, Do they put they put extra features in. Yeah, the, there's there's extra features. So I mean, even the uh, the the full trade has some extra notes. It's got sketches in the back by uh, quietly and, and explanations of of why he's doing certain things and, and changing the posture of Superman uh, between Clark Kent and Superman. Mine has that. It's, yeah, it's it's great stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, but we're going to go much more in depth now. We're probably going to hit this kind of like we did in the lightning round in our House Omega Street episode where we kind of went chapter by chapter. We're going to go issue by issue, give a quick recap of what happens in the issue, and talk about what stood out to us about Superman. But spoilers are coming, so if you want to read this before you listen, now's the time to get out. Uh, this was twelve a 12-issue 12 miniseries, um, completely self-contained. Again, this was entirely unrelated to whatever was going on in DC Comics at the time. And Grant Morrison... Our producer, Andrew, just informed us of this, uh, has said that he, he wanted these 12 issues. And it, it gets mentioned in, in the series as well, but I didn't realize how clearly cut each one was. But he wanted this to look like the 12 labors, kind of a Herculean task that's before Superman uh, in his final days. Yeah. I wanted to read the opening page because this has... Um, the origin of Superman has been told so many times, and it's, you know, people who've never read a comic book or even sat down and watched one of the films could probably tell you the beats of Superman's origin planet, you know, Krypton's exploding. He gets sent to earth raised by the Kents and Grant Morrison does it in four word or, or four panels, each panel having two words and they're very beautifully drawn. Uh, and, and the words in each one are doomed planet, desperate scientists, last hope, kindly couple with doomed planet. You see, you know, a planet exploding. The desperate scientist is a close up on, uh, Kal-El and Lara. Jor-El. Jor-El, sorry, Kal-El is, is Clark Kent, or Superman. Jor-El and Lara, and Last Hope is the rocket ship going through space, and then the kindly couple is the face of the Kents looking down um, into into the rocket ship. 
And then you turn the page, there and go. there's this two-page spread of Superman just flying in front of the sun, kind of establishing, okay, that's it. We've done the origin bit. <laughs> now now yeah. we're moving on. That's pretty well done. It's great storytelling. That should probably be the title, those four two-word couplets. Four couplets. Okay. All right. So Superman gets uh, super radiated. Because he's and... he's saving a mission to... To the sun. <laughs> Not a mission to right. Mars. And I think this, uh, right from the get-go, establishes that we're dealing with big, crazy ideas. Yeah. Kind of like we, uh, if you listen back to our Thanos episode, we talked about how, <laughs> how wild the that. ideas get. But this one, it handles it all very differently. Whereas in the Infinity Gauntlet, the, the big, crazy cosmic ideas were supposed to make you just be in awe of the grandeur and wonder of you know, what they could convey in this comic book medium. This one really wants to make those magnificent and awe-inspiring things really be mundane. Like, this is every day. You know, that in Superman's world, it is not a big deal to fly to the sun. It's not a big deal to have a pet sun eater in your fortress of solitude. (laughs) 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 Um, Which is a really interesting twist. Um, And there's a few of those twists that Morrison does where you've come to expect that if you're going to get a comic book story, they're going to want to show you how amazing everything is. And he wants to say, no, in their, in their world, these things are every day. And another one is that we've kind of been trained in the 75 years that Superman's been a character that if you want to make Superman interesting, you got to weaken him. You got to have kryptonite in the room. You got to take away his powers. And Grant Morrison says, no, if you want to make Superman interesting, you ramp up his powers. (laughs) You, you go the other direction. And so he does these, these kind of twists that I think are, are really fascinating if you, particularly if you're, you know, more well-versed in, in the comic book tropes, but even if not, I think it works on a storytelling level. So I really, I, um, I had, I had sort of a hard time. I mean, the, the, that first, that first page is really great. And then I was like, what in the world is going on here? Um, uh, really until the very, this epilogue of this first, of this first uh, issue when Superman's talking with, or Clark, Clark Kent is talking with Lois Lane and he's trying to express to her that he's dying and um, just can't, can't quite get it out. And then at the very end, he, she's talking to him. She keeps kind of cutting him off and he says, Lois, just stop talking for a second and opens up his, shirt and there's the the superman s and then we see this her groceries just uh lying on the ground she's kind of staring at him and um i was i was really really surprised <laughs> yeah the, at that in moment. the first issue they're gonna be doing away with one of the classic elements of the superman mythology right yeah but um but yeah it definitely like it sort of changed everything uh for me at that point and i thought oh okay this is interesting and this is one thing that they had the freedom to do because this one was you know cut free from all the continuity it didn't matter if they revealed that superman was was uh clark kent because they didn't have to worry about the five other superman titles and the justice league title that are being published right and i did really like this um superman as this or clark kent is sort of this bungling i mean he's so huge right yeah he's just he's just a, a He's so, so huge. And, um, and I've always had this thing with like Clark Kent and Superman and like, really? Come on. (laughs) Like, can you really not tell? But they actually do some pretty interesting things to kind of, um, throw you off. And one of them is that they make him seem really awkward and he's kind of bumping into people and things, but in doing so he saves He's saving people. Right. So someone's about to step out into the street where they're going to get hit by a car, and he pretends to stumble and, and knock into them and stop them from stepping out into the street. Right. And he's, and he's just kind of, he's like pigeon-toed, and he's kind of hunched over. And I think as well as you can, they did a pretty good job with, um, but I just, it's like, you'd think that Lois would uh, be able to tell if she's when she's really with She's really one him. of the greatest investigative reporters on right. the planet. But apparently she has been. Apparently she has been investigating him. She's had her suspicions about Clark. And several, but, several times she's thought, you're him, and then something... And then it 
Yeah, where Superman and Clark are in the same room at the same time, and it turns out that Batman is standing in for him, or... And I think it also um, is that she trusts her investigative skills so much that when she finds these things that fly in the face of her theory, she accepts her research, you know, that... Right. That, okay, I've I've actually proven not what I thought I was proving. I've proven that he's not. uh, Yeah. They're not the same person. Um, I wanted to say, the reason uh, there's this... Or, or the person who's behind this expedition to the sun kind of becomes an important character. It's Professor Quintum. Leo Quintum. Quintum. Yes. And he's um, kind of the embodiment of every crazy <laughs> billionaire scientist that we have on our planet today. Right. <laughs> you know, but even more flamboyant. So, you know, the ones who are funding missions to Mars and those sorts of things. Um, and, and he's treated as just, you know, inherently brilliant. Um, so he... he after the mission goes wrong and Superman and the mission was sabotaged by Luther, we find out. Um, but, but he tests Superman. He's the one that tells Superman, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Um, I'll do everything I can to try and stop it. But at the rate your body's breaking down, there's nothing we can do. Mm. I looked him up. I thought, who is this guy? I've never even heard of this guy. And I looked him up and it just says, he's a guy that's in all-star Superman. (laughs) Yes. That was not a pre-existing character. (laughs) There's like, (laughs) there's nothing about him anywhere. There's no backstory. There's nothing. Usually, well, and, with and these DC with these with these Marvel and DC characters, there's just loads and loads yeah, and loads and loads of information. Of references. Yeah, you've got pages and pages and pages of information on Wikipedia and other places about them. And him, it's there's just almost nothing. It just says, yeah, Leo Quintum is the guy who's in All Star Superman, and it really all we know about him is what we see here, which is um, like I would say precious little. Yes. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about that is that this. If you are familiar with Superman's history, and again, 75 years in comic books and multimedia adaptations, there are references to so many of those works um, that are, are just kind of being distilled in to fit into the story. And it's not like saying you have to know this reference to understand the story, it's, but, it, but if you're familiar with them, you see what Grant Morrison is drawing on. But then one of the main characters is just this unique creation for, for this story. I, I read a theory online, and if neither of you are familiar with it, it's a crazy theory. Uh, I read it. It was it was like Time Magazine. They had like a gaming and culture section. The theory is that Leo Quintum is Lex Luthor in the future, and he comes. It's it's <laughs> after the end of of the series All Star Superman. The Lex you have at the end goes back in time, and is Leo Quintum all throughout this whole thing. I could actually see that. Yeah, like you can you can kind of buy into it, and and they have this whole thing about. Um, you know, Lex showing up on the fifth panel or on the fifth page or his name's fifth in a list. And he's like, oh, Quintum, left and right. And and the, the coat kind of looks the same. And then he said, um, you know, the coat is Luther's colors mixed with Superman's colors, which is the rainbow spectrum. Oh. And and so I was like, okay, I could kind of buy into some of this. I, I could completely allow that. Uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I go for that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, Whatever. so the, the first episode of our issue, the main thing is he saves the solar mission, and he finds out he's going to be dying, and he decides to reveal his secret identity to Lois. Uh, yeah, our, else... uh, our, our lightning rounds are not very fast right now. Yeah, so the pace we're going, we're going to be here for four hours. So, so right. yeah. Second, uh, second issue is all well, I'll tell you Lois right now, I have nothing to say about Bizarro, so... What is that, like, like issue 10? We'll, we'll find yeah. out, and we'll go through that one very quickly. Okay, Superman's Forbidden Room. I like this one. Yes, this is uh, all about his relationship with Lois, and he takes her. He takes her to the fortress, the Fortress of Solitude, which uh, traditionally in the comic books had had a gigantic golden key, like the size of multiple houses, size golden key that he would pick up. And in this one, there's a tiny golden key that he keeps under a doormat <laughs> at the front door. And Lois is like, "That's not very secure." He's like, uh, "It's made out of the center of a dwarf star. <laughs> it's pretty dense." <laughs> It's extremely heavy. Yes, no one, no one else can pick it up. Uh, one thing I did like that they don't draw any attention to it, but um, when Superman is flying Lois, you know, at super speed through the Earth's atmosphere to the Arctic, he does it with her inside of a car so that she doesn't freeze to death. Right. <laughs> um, and she's is, got she is she is bundled up though. Yes, even inside of her car. But I, I think we've all probably seen art of Superman flying, you know, carrying people through the air. Right. At very high heights where there'd be, you know, a lot of cold <laughs> temperatures happening. And that's true. I hadn't even thought of. I hadn't even thought of that. But it, but that's a nice. Uh, what a gentleman. Yes. <laughs> Just pick up the car and float her, f- fly her to your fortress of solitude in her car. Yeah. 
Then if she needs to leave early, she can just get in her car and drive home. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, as we've wandered through his Fortress of Solitude, it kind of gives Lois the tour. And this is one of those moments where, like, the, the most amazing things in the universe are being made, you know, and mundane. You know, Superman's just kind of offhand. I the, Titan- the Titanic. The and Titanic. A space shuttle. A space shuttle. There. Right. Um, the Sun Eater. He's got, um, she, she, she walks through a room and she's like, I didn't know you were into postmodern art. And he's like, oh, this is the weapon. <laughs> you know, this is the armor. Yeah. <laughs> These are all alien weapons that could kill me. And one of them is the kryptonite laser. A kryptonite laser. And then there's a gravity gun, which comes in later. Right. Uh, and he's got his Superman robots that are all walking around. And Lois gets a peek into a room uh, that she's not supposed to. <laughs> Where, um, it, it looks like a robot is, has been doing some scans on her. Right. And and she starts to get she just starts to wonder why. And the whole time she sort of doesn't she doesn't believe that he's really Clark Kent. No, she's she like where Superman is Clark? Superman went and pretended to be Clark. Right. Which is fascinating. Which is, a, actually, which is exactly what happens all the time, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and there's this quote in this this issue that I wanted to discuss. Uh, and then we'll go faster from here on out. Okay, go for it. <laughs> but, uh, they're, That's they're right. I do think I, I was way more interested in the earlier stuff than what happens at the end. So yeah, I'm totally we'll, okay. I think we'll, we'll pick up speed, uh, where she says if Clark Kent was secretly Superman or the other way around, whatever, uh, if it was all a ruse and then she goes on. And my question to you, Todd is which one is it? <laughs> which one is secretly the other one? Which one is, is Clark Kent secretly like, Superman? Wait, which one is or he is, really? Is he really Clark Kent or is he really Superman? Oh, I don't know. See, this is, um, I'm like the last person on earth that you should, let me tell you what my history with Superman is, okay? Oh. I have these extremely faint memories. Um, and I think that I've probably completely fabricated this, but my parents will tell me if, um, if it's true or not. But when I was a kid, uh, I remember my parents doing like movie night and I, th- I think that they did it with some friends, but I remember, like, we watched the three Star Wars films, you know, like three weeks in a row, and then we watched the Star Trek films, and we watched the Superman films. And so I remember um, the Christopher Reeves... Christopher Reeves? Uh, Christopher Reeve. And Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Reeves was the 1950s Superman. Okay. So uh, Christopher Reeve, the Superman, and like flying through the air with Lois and, you know, like weird s- s- music playing and... It was the John Williams score. It was beautiful. And, uh, and <laughs> these are like, these are my five-year-old or seven-year-old memories of this. And then I remember him flying around the earth backwards. I have uh, some images of Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, right? Yeah. And, um, and then that was it for Superman for me for like pretty much my whole entire life until Smallville came out. And then I saw, like, at varying times, I've, I've seen maybe, I don't know, seven episodes of Smallville or something in no particular order. And uh, and then I just read All-Star Superman. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I don't know that I'm, like, the best person in the world to be asking this question. Um, I love... The thing that I like about... Um, Let's see. How do I say this? I like. I really. Um, I like Clark Kent. I- I'm far more interested in Clark Kent as a character than I am a Superman as a character. And I've told you on this podcast before that, like Superman and this kind of almost divine power for me is like, nah, I really like Captain America better. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just am more. I'm. I'm. Uh, it, I am far more interested in people that have um, more weaknesses, more apparent weaknesses. Uh, but Clark Kent is really interesting to me because uh, because he cares so much about uh, about Lois uh, because uh, he has this relationship with his parents um, with the Kents. So I really like him. He's I I find Clark Kent a far more compelling character than Superman. Um, I don't know that that answers your question of wh- who he is really, <laughs> um, but I do like I, I like him better i like clark kent better as a character than i do superman and and i think that that i mean this is i would say that this is the most i've thought about superman in a in a very long time if ever so what do you think i have always said that i think clark kent is the mask that superman is putting on because he's always really super powered he's always has the super senses going sure he's, you know can can hear everything and and see everything and he's pretending 
to be Clark Kent, but then the comeback that I get when I've had these discussions, which this isn't just, I, I mean, I've certainly had, you know, been part of these in kind of a, a geeky setting, but I've also had this in a very academic setting. Uh, but he wouldn't be Superman if he wasn't Clark Kent, is the comeback. That if he wasn't raised by the Kents in Smallville, right, he wouldn't be Superman. So he's putting on the costume and pretending to be this larger-than-life figure because of the morals he was given as Clark Kent. Uh, is, is come back. And I see both. Uh, and I think that's one reason why he's endured for 75 years is that you can, you can have all those interpretations. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's totally fine to have it both ways. Yeah. Um, and in the end of this episode, uh, we find out that Superman has, or, or this issue, not this episode, this issue, that Superman has been preparing a, uh, a birthday gift for Lois and that he's going to give her superpowers for 24 hours. Uh huh. She shoots him. She shoots him with the kryptonite laser. I love that. <laughs> she's become. Uh, she was exposed to some some gases that made her. Um, oh, what's the word? Paranoid. Paranoid. Yeah, made her paranoid. Right. And so she thinks Superman's out to get her, and she shoots him with the kryptonite gun. But because he's become superpowered, it doesn't doesn't phase him at all. Right. Um, or I mean, it hasn't become superpowered, but it has become extra superpowered. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the very end of this issue, he gives her her super suit because she's going to get superpowers. Right. And become um, superwoman. Right. Yes. Which, um, in both, uh, we don't see a whole lot of Jimmy in this, but it talks about how he, he's kind of a, his reporting isn't just being a photographer, but he does these day in the life of stories where he uh-huh. goes on crazy adventures for one day. He takes on these roles and is he, he's Lane like is, the Morgan Spurlock of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and Lois Lane is getting these powers for 24 hours, which in the seventies, there was a comic book title called Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, and one called Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. And these are the kinds of things that would happen to them in those issues. So like for one issue, something in, you know, insane would happen to them and it'd be gone by the, by the end of the issue. And they'd be back to just being Lois Lane or back uh-huh. to just, just Jimmy. Um, and so I think that's one of those things that's kind of a reference to the, you know, to the lore that exists, uh, in the past to Superman. Okay. So she gets right. to be Superwoman. There's Sweet a Sweet Dream Superwoman. Kroll, Kroll, the dinosaur guy. <laughs> yeah. There's just a random <laughs> invasion by the <laughs> lizard people that live at the core of the earth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, this stuff is like so weird to me. It's, um, oh, what I love about this is these things come fast and furious and there's not a whole lot of explanation of any of them. <laughs> you know, it's just Superman saving a mission to the sun, Superman stopping an invasion of the lizard people. You know, this is just his day to day life. There's not like a, you know, an eight issue story arc about the crawl of the lizard people at Earth's core. Right. Well, something I found interesting is I've never heard anyone complain about that treatment because you know, what they're doing is saying, um, you know, all this action and, and this invasion and everything is less interesting than this personal intimate story we're telling about Superman slash Clark Kent um, and, and him facing death. And I've never heard anyone say, wait, I wish we got more explanation of the lizard people. No, everyone buys in completely with the story that they're telling through, uh... through words and pictures that that the Superman dying story is more interesting than the the subterranean dinosaur invasion i will tell you that the superman uh, dying story is far more interesting i could have done with way more of the superman dying story and way less of uh a- alien invasions from the center of the earth or from bizarre land or yes. i mean in this issue alone we get uh the the lizard people we have time travelers named atlas and samson and we have the ultra sphinx i think it is is it the ultra sphinx yes, yes. the ultra sphinx <laughs> Um, and all these things happen within 22 pages. I mean, it is jam packed with action, even as we're largely focusing on the overarching relationship of Lois, uh, and Superman. Yeah. But see, it was, it was, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I wasn't as enthralled with that aspect of it. I would have liked for something slower paced and more just focused on them and their relationship. Cause that's that, um, anyway, I would have liked it, but better, but you know, I'm not Grant Morrison. <laughs> I, I just flipping through, I realized there's even um, a one-page story uh, of them visiting Atlantis. You just get a page. They, they have dinner in Atlantis. Yeah, they had dinner in Atlantis. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Ultra Sphinx does ask the question. So um, these time travelers had stolen something from the Sphinx, and it was hunting them, and they gave it to Lois as a little gift, knowing that Superman <laughs> they would, would then stop the Ultra Sphinx to save Lois. Yeah. Um, so Samson and Atlas... Uh, have have done that, and the the question is, uh, what happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object, and Superman is able to answer it? Uh, 
he, he simply says, they surrender. And that's, <laughs> that's the answer to that, that riddle. I like, uh, I, I really, I like the arm wrestling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so after the Sphinx lets them go, uh, Atlas and Samson are still kind of like hitting on Lois and Superman says, guys, that's enough. <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be my special day with Lois. And they say, uh, if you best us, we'll leave you alone. And so they go and do arm wrestling. And he and, has uh, one, he has, uh, one arm. He's doing both of them at the same time. Yes. Each one of them has one hand on, you know, and he's, he's sitting there with both of his har- arms out and he twists, uh, he twists Atlas arm all, or, or what's Samson's his name? Arm Samson's backwards. arm all the way backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a photo of, uh, of the other one with his arms in cast in a ca- in cast. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the, the end of the issue, Lois's powers are, are wearing out and she's just exhausted because she's had such a crazy day. As one, as one could imagine. Yeah. Um, and I do want to point out, I don't know if you looked at the little tag at the end, um, where it says Sweet Dream Superwoman, which was the, ta- the, the title of the issue. That's uh, the last one. Right. Uh-huh. Did you see what it says on the on the newspaper? It says, Surrender to the New Lexus Samaritan. Yeah. Uh, it, Superman uh, Dead. Daily Planet yes, Superman Dead. This is Dead. a newspaper from the future that one of the time travelers had brought with them. Oh, okay. The, the headline says Superman Dead, and then the ad inside says, What happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object? Surrender to the New Lexus Samaritan. <laughs> Nice. All right. Uh, issue number three is the Jimmy Olsen episode. War. F- episode four. Oh, episode, issue four. Issue, issue four. four. It says episode uh, four on mine. Oh, it does say episode. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm getting it. Yeah, it does say episode four. Yeah. So you you uh, take that and run one, with it, Joseph. Yeah, Jimmy's uh, day in the life adventure is he's going to be Doctor Quintum. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's going to go take over the super science lab. Which you should you should explain a little bit. What is the science that Quintum is doing? Which <laughs> is hard no explain. to explain. There's no explaining. It is uh, as metaphysical science as you, as you can imagine. It's just hand waviness. It's just it's just <laughs> it, it, you know the the, the famous Clark uh, is it Arthur C. Clarke quote that any science sufficiently advanced will be magic. This is science at the point of magic. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and in this, uh, I'll just say real quick, Jimmy has a crazy adventure and he turns into Doomsday <laughs> and Superman stops him. Well, it's uh, actually, um, Superman turns evil and Jimmy has to stop him. As Doomsday, yes. Uh, but Doomsday is the, uh, villain that was created in the 90s when they wanted to kill Superman. Doomsday is the villain that actually killed Superman. So it's a reference to that storyline, the death of Superman. Um, anything that stood out to you with this issue? I have, I, uh, at this point I was, I was starting to be like, what in the world is going on? Jimmy turns into this giant rock monster or something. Yeah, it's a gray spiky beast, which again is Doomsday from That's Doomsday. He's the one that kills Superman? Yeah. How does he kill Superman in the other one? Like just. A lot of punching. Just yeah, beats a, him to death. A lot, a lot of punching. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It is the uh, unstoppable force and immovable object. They both actually, I mean, I, it may have been, uh, Morrison may have been rend- uh, making a reference to that. Doomsday is completely unstoppable, but as he gets near Metropolis, Superman says, I won't, you don't get to take out Metropolis. Uh-huh. You know, I'm the immovable object in front of Metropolis. And they beat each other to death. Like, the last blow kills both of them. They surrender. Wow. It's like a Rocky and Apollo Creed. <laughs> Yes, we'll we'll get to that at some point in this podcast. Okay. Sure. <laughs> not this, not this actual podcast, but not, not this one. In our in our podcasting experience, we will talk about Rocky. Yeah. Okay, episode five, Gospel According to Lex Luthor. I I thought this one was pretty interesting. Yeah, a lot more interesting than Jimmy Olsen. Yes, for me. yes really. Yes. I think that might it might be my favorite episode. I think we get um, if there's a, a character that's as interesting as Superman in this one, it's Lex Luthor definitely. Yeah. So Lex is in prison. And Clark is going to write a a story on him. So he goes to interview Lex Luthor as Clark Kent. And um, we we see Lex has, I mean, he kind of seems to almost have the run of the prison. I mean, there's always guards around, but he's able to go exercise however he wants. (laughs) um, In this version of Lex Luthor, his obsession with, um, with Superman has taken the form of wanting to prove that he could be as good as Superman in any sense or better than Superman in, in every sense, intellectually and physically. Mm. So he's trying to get himself at the peak human physical, uh, you know, uh, strength that he can. So he's like running on a treadmill with weights in his arms. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, doing all kinds of crazy lifts. And, um, he, he talks to, to Clark Kent in a way that I think also kind of, 
is revealing about his own psychology where he says, don't you realize that like if Superman wasn't around, you would be an amazing, an amazing man, but now you're just a schlub. Right. Cause, cause you're always, all of us, all of humanity is now compared to Superman and we're all schlubs. Yeah. Basically. Well, I'm, I've always been interested how positive he is with Clark Kent. He's yeah. Like, he likes Clark. He's like, Clark, you're, you're good. I mean, you're kind of a simpleton, but I like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, I think he feels no threat from Clark. Yes. Certainly. And one of the more interesting parts of this episode is that Lex Luthor really believes he's in complete control of surroundings at all times. But again, in the background, Clark Kent is saving his life over and over Uh as there's a prison riot. uh, And Lex Luthor is pretending that he's orchestrating everything. Or in his mind, he really is orchestrating everything, I think. Right. But, uh, you know, a, a random prisoner gets a gun and wants to kill Lex and he's about to and, and Clark Kent stops him from doing it you know, by pretending to fall in, you know, trip and fall into, right. into Lex Luthor and, um, and and throughout it you, you see even though Lex Luthor believes himself to be the, you know, the superior chess master that's aware of every piece on the board Superman is the one that is actually doing everything right then this monster shows up that um, that feeds off of Superman's power well, it feeds off of anyone's power, and once Clark Kent enters the room, the monster gets supercharged because Superman... And Lex has no idea why this is evil. happening. Yeah. Um, so when he's around normal humans, he can get a little bit stronger. But once Superman, with his exploding cells, you know, because his powers are amped up even more, comes even close to him, he almost... Uh, it, it, the villain is called Parasite. He almost explodes with how much power he right. takes just being in Superman, or Clark Kent's presence. And, uh, and then Clark saves, ends up saving Lex... And Lex takes him into his, <coughs> excuse me, into his lair. And Where Lex reveals that he could escape at any point he wants. <laughs> yeah, he has this, like, <laughs> underground lair that leads him to a... A, a river. A river with a, with a lady with a boat, and she can just... His niece. <laughs> she can just take Superman. She can take Clark Kent back home. Yeah, and, and Clark is like, you could escape whenever you want. He's like, I don't want to. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> it's not time. Uh, all right, episode five, Funeral in Smallville. Um, this one is simultaneously has, has a, the smallest, most beautiful moments, but also the most some of the most insane. Yeah, <laughs> like what what is happening? Uh, it's totally weird. I was yeah, like, what in has, the world uh, am the I reading right now? Funeral in Smallville is Pa Kent. Uh, so Pa Kent dies, but there are also three other Supermen from the future that are involved. Well, and it's it's framed as a flashback to to kind of a early twenties, just out of Smallville, right. just into Metropolis, Clark Kent. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I don't even know how to explain everything that goes on with the three Supermen from the future. I do want to read a quote, Todd. Go for it. From Grant Morrison, I looked this up. This is from an article on io9 uh, from two thousand eight. Uh, it is. Um, a transcript of an interview, and the question was asked to Grant Morrison. To what extent do drugs play a role in your creative process? <laughs> you Can notice, I tell you what the answer really is? What was that? Can I tell you what the answer is? <laughs> yeah, but tell me what you think of uh, Significant. <laughs> he says, uh, they were very big at The Invisibles, which was one of his first series that got his name really out on the map uh-huh. as, a, as a comic book writer. But then he says, I was a very straight-edge kid until I was 30 years old. I didn't touch anything. I was anti-drinking, anti-drugs, everything. But I got to 30, and I kind of decided to treat myself as a laboratory. Oh my gosh. And become something else. I wondered how much you could mess with your own personality. Uh, and then he, he says, I just started to take tons of psychedelic drugs. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of comes out in this. Yeah. Uh, and I think all of the weird time travel stuff with the future Superman who are, are coming back just to, to meet the original Superman not, is, is not part of that. Not to mention the Superman from the fifth dimension. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the strange trippiness. Um, but I do want to mention that uh, one of them is there, there's one that's all covered in bandage bandages. Uh-huh. He's like the mystery Superman. Yes. And you find out that that was really, uh, he has a question mark on his S shield instead of an S. I love this. <laughs> I, I like the one that's like, he's got his, his like death ray gun and he's kind of small and he wears a derby hat. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it, it's, it's a version of Mr. Mixopathic. It's <laughs> it a, unbelievable. A classic Superman villain it's from the fifth so, dimension. So that's a Superman. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, but th- this one that's been all in bandages, you find out, is actually the contemporary Superman who went back in time to see his dad one last time, to have one last conversation with Pa Kent. 
Because the because the original Superman is he yeah. die Pa can't dies while he's out trying to save everybody, right? Yes. And so this mystery Superman goes and talks to Pa Kent right before he has his heart attack. And there's nothing he can do to stop a heart attack. Uh, and that's one thing that's been fairly consistent in all of the Superman mythology, is that Pa Kent dies from a heart, heart attack, except for Man of Steel. Which uh, was you a, were going to uh, mention that. Uh, but pa, pa, pa Kent dies from a heart attack, and one of the things that Superman learns from that is that he just can't save everyone. Yeah. Like, he, he can't you know, stop the heart from giving out. Which uh, makes the scene in Man of Steel all the more baffling. <laughs> yes. Um, I also... This is one of my favorite moments is um, when the younger Superman, he's been in this fight and they establish that they're fighting a, a chronovore and it eats three minutes of his life. And in the three minutes is when the heart attack happens. Right. And so he gets out of the fight and he instantly recognizes that he can't hear his father's heart beating. Yeah. Which I thought was just an interesting and fascinating and great little note about Superman that he is tracking the heartbeats of those he cares about. That's pretty cool. Um the one scene in Man of Steel that I actually did like, oh, I didn't mention that in my history of Superman. So I did see Man of Steel. Um, I was, I thought it was like, nah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, we will not be covering that one as a great <laughs> character, a great story. No, but I will tell you that um, the thing, that, one of the things that I liked, and I'm sure that this is coming from some the, some other source material, uh, but when Superman's a kid and he's trying to filter out all of this sensory perception that he's getting, um, yeah. and it. Uh, so one of the things that I am really, really interested in is representations of autism in, uh, in like popular culture and literature and stuff. And, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, I, I felt like they were in indexing that in that scene, this, just this inability to, uh, filter all of the things that your um, that your body's processing when my, uh, when my son was uh, first diagnosed, the therapist told us, imagine that you were in classroom and you can hear the water pumping in the in the fish tank and you can hear the air um, pumping through the walls and you can see the lights flickering and you can smell every like individual kid in the room and you can feel the your clothes on your skin. And all of this is like clamoring for your attention at the same level as the teacher sitting and standing at the front of the room trying to teach you something. That's what it's like. And I thought, when I saw that scene in Man of Steel and, and this, this idea that he can hear his father's heartbeat all the time um, kind of brought that back to me. But anyway. Yeah, I think every uh, Superman film, except for maybe Superman 4, has had some really great moments. But I don't think we've had the great Superman film yet. And it's a, even Man of Steel, which is quite problematic, has some really good moments as yeah. within it. Yeah. All right, I think we can go through episode seven and episode eight and just say these are the Bizarro ones, and they're just weird. They're totally <laughs> they weird. Do two on Bizarro. Yeah, I don't know how much we actually learn about Superman in these. Oh my gosh, um, it's so. It, they're called Bizarro, and I'm I'm just happy, like just moving right along. Yeah, the concept of Bizarro from Superman Comics is uh, one of those that I think is an interesting idea that it, the execution is extremely difficult. And even the idea of the Bizarro, like this uh, strange alternate reality version of, of anyth- anything, has kind of taken hold in popular culture. Maybe as much because Seinfeld talked about Bizarro <laughs> several times on his TV show as anything else. Um, but it's a reference that has certainly, I think, come out of Superman uh, into a, a larger cultural consciousness. But I don't know how to explain what happens in these two issues. I, I felt like I was on uh, mind-altering drugs when I was reading this. <laughs> They're so weird. Um, the one aspect I did really enjoy, though, was um, usually in Bizarro stories, we see Bizarro come to Earth as this reverse Superman, and he speaks in opposite, and everything is off about him, and he's a simpleton, but he, you know, and again, everything's opposite. And indeed, Superman does go to the Bizarro Earth. You know, it's not just Bizarro coming here. He goes to Bizarro Earth, and on Bizarro Earth, there is one normal, one normal person. Yeah. Relatively normal. Yes, who can't, who can't handle being on Bizarro Earth because everything's backwards <laughs> to him. And Superman brings his poetry back with him. Yeah. Okay, episode nine. Um, yeah. Episode Curse of nine. the Replacement Superman. Um, and, and this one, we kind of get the trope. We always call Superman the last son of Krypton or the last survivor of Krypton, but there are an awful lot of other Kryptonians who <laughs> come across it. Yeah. Besides the entire bottled city of Kandor, which we will get to. Um, and this is a couple of 
uh, a male and a female Kryptonian astronaut, I think is all they say, that were lost in space for decades. Right. They were out as astronauts when Krypton exploded, and they finally found their way to Earth. <laughs> and um, I, in this one, you're getting kind of a... What, what you're seeing set up is how much Earth has made Superman who he is and not Krypton. You know, he yes, he's Kryptonian, but it is Earth's culture has made him right. be, you know, the, the paragon of... of of virtue, you know, it's, it's because he was raised by the Kents in Smallville. Right, not just Earth. It's it? not just Earth. It's it's the it's Smallville. It's the Kents in Smallville. Yeah, and it, it's those values being instilled with him because these Kryptons or Kryptonians are, are not really good individuals. No, they're not kind. <laughs> they come to Earth and they just see a planet ready to be subjugated and to be rebuilt into the glory of Krypton. Yeah, and they're mad at him because he hasn't done that yet. Right. They're and, and not just mad at him, but they're confused. <laughs> Like, well, like, what why? are you doing? Why don't you just uh, take over this? Make Krypton. Take over don't this you place. see how much better Krypton is yeah. than than everything that that these people, you know, if they even are people, <laughs> have managed to to accomplish. And they they established that um, these were contemporaries of Superman's father. They they knew Jor El and um, and you know recognize him as um, as Jor El's son. And they say, you know, your father was kind of an idiot. It, you kind of turned out a little bit too much like yeah. him. Yes. Um, it does have one of my favorite big crazy ideas, though, that uh, when Superman does have a fight with these <laughs> Kryptonians who have now gained as much power, they crack the moon <laughs> and they staple the moon back together. With all the bridges. With bridges. From Earth. <laughs> they just pick up the bridges and go and put them on each side of the cracks so the, air, the moon won't split apart. Because yeah. that would have some rather significant ramifications for Earth. If the moon were to split apart? Moon. Yeah. If our moon yeah, well, I'm glad that they too. thought through the science of all of that, right? Yes. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because splitting the moon in half would really have dire consequences for Earth, and um, that's uh, stapling it together by. That's a very. That's a very scientifically sound uh, uh, thought. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it checks out. Yeah. So, uh, so if that <laughs> ever is going to happen, now we have the solution, which is we just need to fly all the bridges from Earth up to the moon. And staple it back together. <laughs> it really does look like staples are being laid, <laughs> laid across the crack. And then you have this, and um, then you have this, uh, this picture of like the moon up in the sky, and it looks like Jack Skellington or something. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, and at the end of this one, it's uh, Superman doesn't really beat the Kryptonians in battle. Uh, in their space travels, um, some exposure to uh, to. Krypton after its explosion. It was radiation caused the Krypton Krypton minerals in their bodies to, to turn to kryptonite. And so they're literally poisoning themselves uh, uh, now that they're on the planet Earth and getting these powers. All the weird... <laughs> you know, whatever movie. They're poisoning themselves from inside uh, uh, here on Earth and are weakening, and Superman is able to save them by sending them into the Phantom Zone, which is another place where Kryptonians are hanging out, even though Superman is the last surviving... <laughs> the last <laughs> Kryptonian, except for all of the other ones. Yeah. Well, the Phantom Zone is, is for... It was their prison. It was an alternate dimension where they put all the really bad criminals. Yeah, why not? All right, I need a moment to just quickly recap and see what... That's what a hard one, Joseph, with. because that is not linear time frame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I was trying to glance ahead and see what comes. And it's like, oh, man. That, that one's... Uh, it goes from morning to evening to afternoon to evening oh, to sorry. night to... All right, episode 10 is called Never Ending, and I think this one is supposed to kind of hammer home how rough Superman's day really would be. Right. If he's trying to help as many people as he could. We get little timestamps uh, all over the, the pages for, like, two panels saying this is what he's doing at this exact minute of the day and everything that he's doing. And it's also being inter- intercut with him writing his last, his last testament. Uh, he's using his heat vision to, to write it in on the wall. Or no, he's using a laser to write it in on a wall in the Fortress of Solitude, explaining that he's dying and, um, you know, Earth's going to have to be able to get along without him. But at the same time, he's still spending every minute he can, basically, trying to save lives. Yeah, he's looking pretty bad at this point. Yes, he's he's <laughs> definitely sweating a lot more. Um, but one, my favorite sequence that's in this particular issue, it... it I say sequence, but it kind of picks up and carries over at a few different points. There's a point where he stops a train that's about to derail, and you see amongst the citizens that he's just saved 
uh, a man talking on his cell phone saying, I got held up, don't put the phone down, just stay in the apartment, you have to believe me, I'm on my way. And then several pages later, because this one's kind of inter- intercuts timelines all over the place, um, you see a girl standing on a ledge who throws down the cell phone and you can tell she's about to jump. She's about to commit suicide. And all of a sudden Superman appears behind her and he just says, your doctor really did get held up. Uh, Regan, it's never as bad as it seems. You're much stronger than you think you are. Trust me. And he's just holding her for the last panel. Ah. Um, so he he heard, you know, that, that phone conversation after he was, he had just stopped the train from derailing and was able to, you know, uh, you know, with all the super senses, know exactly what that really meant and who that person was talking to. Uh, and he goes and saves this other one individual, which I think maybe that one stands out more because it is just one individual amidst, um, amongst all these other scenes of him saving, you know, these masses uh, of people that Superman cares about the one as much as he does stopping the train that has, you know, hundreds of people. Yeah. I like that. I like that moment with the girl. All right. Episode 11, Red Sunday. This is another Luther centric issue. Yeah, so Luther creates this Red Sun because the Red Sun drains Superman's power? Yeah, uh, Red Sun of Krypton would leave him as essentially a normal person. It's Earth's Yellow Sun is what gives Superman his powers. And uh, it's not revealed at first how, but uh, how he gets it, that Lex Luthor gets the serum that gave Lois Lane her powers for 24 hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he has some of that so that in this 24-hour period when he's trying to blot out Earth's Yellow Sun and make a Red Sun... Um, by bringing in Solaris, the tyrant's son. Is that the <laughs> yes, I think, the, uh... I think you are correct on that. <laughs> yes. So yes, Solaris, the tyrant's son, come in and cast red rays at Earth, and he's trying to give himself Superman's powers at the same moment, uh, within the same 24-hour period. But Superman has foreseen this, and so he has a special suit to protect him from. That will allow him to go fight the tyrant's son. And he also uh, has a sun eater to come, to yes, come and eat the tyrant's son. <laughs> Yes, back in the second issue when he was getting Lois Lane, just one of the offhand things that he mentions is I've got a baby sun eater in here that I feed with small suns I build on my galactic anvil. <laughs> and he strikes this red spark thing that's on the anvil and all these little sparks fly off, which are baby suns that he feeds to the yeah. sun eater. Um, and, and it's uh, not really brought up again in the in the intervening issues. It comes back up in this issue. Just in this issue, he, he says he, he went and released it out by Saturn and he was cleaning up the, the pen <laughs> where he kept the baby sun eater, yeah. which is really just like a black blob. Yep. Yeah. A black squid thing. Um, yeah. So Superman in the special suit that is allowing him to still have his powers and the baby sun eater attacks Solaris. Solaris is able to kill the sun eater because it is so young. Uh, but then Superman does take out Solaris after that. So he, he makes it through, but at this point, he's he's pretty in pretty bad shape. He, as Clark Kent, he's writing the big headline for the next day that Superman has died, and then he does. Yeah, the Clark Kent dies. As as Clark Kent, he he passes out, and everyone in the office is like, he's not breathing. There's no heartbeat. And just then, the Super Lex Luthor blasts a hole inside of the wall, yeah. um, and announcing that he's there and uh, wearing his purple and green <laughs> outfit <laughs> with superpowers. Yep. And then we're heading now into the last issue. So we have a dead Clark Kent. Uh, Superman, we knew, was completely worn out. And uh, Lex Luthor has superpowers. And this one's called Superman in Excelsis. Excelsis? Excelsis? Isn't that how are we supposed to sing that one? Yep. Uh, I've never known how to do it right. No. That's right. Uh, which is one of many religious references that this 12 issues has. Yep. Uh, they're very much playing with this, the Superman as Messiah figure uh, theme that runs through a lot of the, the Superman stories. And we have a dead Superman at the start of this, which also plays into <laughs> the, uh, the theme. Yep. So he's dead, and he's in some other place, like a spirit realm something or other? Yes, he sees his father, um, and his father kind of says, you have a choice. You, you can stay here. Um or you can turn and face down evil one last time. And we, we know what choice Superman <laughs> will make. <laughs> and so uh, Clark Kent suddenly wakes up, and um, he goes over, and uh, Lex Luthor's like, what, what are you doing, Clark? <laughs> he says one thing, I have a gravity gun. And he shoots Lex Luthor with his gravity gun, which weighs him down and everything. <laughs> uh, and then Clark goes and gets on his... Superman suit and goes, uh, Lex Luthor's fallen down to the street level below. 
and he goes to confront Lex Luthor down there. And this is where you find out why he chose the gravity gun to fight Lex Luthor. And this was one of those clever twists uh, within the story, is that he knew Lex Luthor had corrupted one of his, his Superman robots in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, that's how Lex Luthor got the serum in the first place. But Superman knew this, and he knew Lex Luthor was getting the serum, and he chose the gravity gun because uh, time compresses under extreme gravity. This is one of the quantum <laughs> physics ideas. And so by shooting Su- uh, Lex Luthor with the gravity gun, he, sh- uh, he shortened his 24 hours of superpowers, and they wear out much sooner than anticipated. Nice. But before Lex Luthor loses his powers, he has this moment of clarity where he says suddenly I see, you know, I see everything. I can actually see the way energy and particles interact. I see the whole universe. And he realizes that this is how he sees it every All day. The time. This is how, how Superman must exist. And he starts um, weeping. Yes, he's crying. And his niece is telling him, you're totally embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then this beat, bloodied Superman comes to take care of Lex. Well, and one thing Lex says, is he says, um, the idea is that we're all connected, because um, he, he, he's seeing how every particle is interacting, you know, from us through the energy, you know, how everything is, is touching. And he says, this is how he sees all the time every day, like it's all just us in here together, and we're all we've got. Yeah. You know, we really are just one. Yep, nice moment. Yep. Uh, and then Lex Luthor loses powers, and Superman, who is really is dying this time at this point. Uh, His face is cracking and energy is starting to ripple out of it because of his cells are so overcharged. He he still has enough strength to give Lex Luthor one last good punch (laughs) (laughs) and knock him out cold. Um, And... Well, and that's the the moment where Lex says, wait, no, like, let me take the serum again. I can save the world. And So that's where the crazy theory that the Dr. Quintum is a future Lex that came back in time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I guess, uh, Solaris, the tyrant's son had sabotaged our earth son, uh, to double cross Lex Luthor. And so our earth son is now going out. So even though we stopped the bad son, <laughs> we're losing our good our son, son our, we're, we're losing our good son and Superman, who's about to explode with all of this energy flies into the sun to jumpstart it and save earth one last time. As, and that is, uh, the last we see of Superman is flying into the sun. Uh, and the next panel is Lois Lane standing at a memorial statue for super or sitting in front of a memorial statue statue for Superman. Uh, and everything is fine. So obviously it worked. Superman was able to save the day, to save the day one last time. And, uh, Lois though is convinced that he's not, he didn't die. What do you, what do you make of that? Because Lois says he didn't die. He's just in there fixing the sun. And when he's done, he's going to come back. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Like, do I, if Grant Morrison was to write an issue 13, do I think he'd have Superman come back? Yeah. I don't I know. Mean, I it's mean, kind it, of a, it was, it's kind of a weird place to leave Lois, don't you think? Yes. I, well, and we... One of the last things that was... I, I, particularly because with all the future Superman that we see, when Lois sees one of them, she says, oh, it looks kind of like my dad. Doesn't she say something like that? Something like that. Which seems to imply that Superman and Lois Lane have kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the... So there's, like, the last pages where they established that Superman had entrusted his genetic code to Leo Quintum. And Quintum was working out a way that it could be... Cloned or duplicated. And in the film version, they make it a little more express that um, even to clone anything, you're still going to need a healthy egg. Human, human egg, yeah. Yeah. And so they imply that Lois would... Carry... Um, host. Right. Yeah. Um, the idea of Superman being resurrected, it plays into all of the religious themes that, you know, inundate this mythology that's been built up around Superman in the last 75 years. So I don't think it would be out of place to have him come back. Uh, but at the same time, having him be our son, <laughs> you know, that he is literally uh, the uh, son, the son yeah. is a fascinating place to kind of end the story that it, you know, he, his whole existence was saving people. And now he's, you know, the source of life to continue to exist. Yeah. He is. Right. Yeah. The source of all life here, which again, a lot of religious possibilities. Of those yeah. I just think that it's, I just think that it's an, an odd place to leave Lois. Right. Yeah. Particularly Lois. Like, and you, you really don't know 
where she ended up in her idea about Clark and Superman. Yeah. You know, did she finally put it all together? Or or not? Yeah. She, I think, of all the characters, is the one that's left hanging the most. Yeah. I mean, Luther's story gets wrapped up. I mean, Jimmy was never a main enough character to really be concerned about where, you know, <laughs> where he's going with all this. Uh, but Lois is... is uh, and to end it on that scene just leaves you, I, I think, almost feeling unfinished. Yeah, I, was, but I feel I bad think, for her. I mean, like, I feel... Yeah. I was gonna if say, he really is gone the, forever, then... The idea that there's, there could be another chapter is part of part of why we have comic books still now 75 right. years later is the idea that there could always be another story told about these characters. And so I, th- I think that maybe one reason why, even though this was supposed to be a completely encapsulated iconic story, he doesn't wrap it all up. Yeah. I, and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, I'm okay with that. I just, uh, I, in my own mind, like it has to remain open. Because if that's the end, if that's really, really the end, and it's like, no, Superman is really, really gone. He's never, ever coming back. And I have this image of Lois, like, just waiting for him forever. Uh, that breaks my heart. Anything else you wanted to add in our discussion of Superman or any other insights into the, the character you got from reading no, this No, I did really like these notes at the end of this version that I have where he talks about um, Clark Kent and uh, the things that they did to try to disguise him by changing his posture and the way that he walks. And um, I, I liked, I appreciated that a lot. It was, I, I, I thought that this was a really good story. Um, and Superman is still not my favorite superhero, <laughs> uh, but I gained some new respect for the man of steel. Hey, you and I were coming from two very different points on this one because I've, I've done a lot of work with Superman. Ah. I've edited an essay collection on Superman. I've read a lot of Superman. I'm working on another project on Superman right now. Uh, but, you, you know, this was uh, kind of a fresher exposure for you to the character. Uh, for me, I think this is really one of the best takes on Superman that I've ever read. And uh, really encapsulates all the things that are interesting, even if it gets a little crazy <laughs> and out there totally on the edge. Crazy. With Grant Morrison, sometimes you got to take that <laughs> to get uh, the good, pure storytelling that does still happen. Yeah. No, he knows how to, he does know how to tell a story. I mean, the, it's amazing to me that the same writer that wrote that first page with telling the whole, the whole origin story in one page in eight words is the same writer that wrote the Bizarro chapters. Like it just, it, it's hard. There's such a disconnect between, uh, one form of storytelling and the other, um, that it's really hard for my brain to sort of get wrapped around the fact that it's the same writer all the way through. Um, there are moments yeah. of just brilliance and beauty in this, and there are some moments of just absolute bananas, off the walls, <laughs> drug induced wildness. And I do have to say, we've talked uh, several times about Grant Morrison, but uh, one more time, Frank Quintley's art in this is oh, just beautiful. Yeah. He has very clean, simple lines, uh, but he can stage the action from one. It, it's very easy to follow the action. Even if the ideas are insane in Bizarre yeah. World, you know what's happening to Superman uh, while he's there. Uh, you, I mean, you're following what, what the action is for him, even if you don't necessarily understand the ideas behind all yeah, of the, the art. the art in uh, this And there's is some really... Beautiful fabulous spreads like two page spreads of Superman or, and some iconic visuals. We'll probably have a few of those up on the website. Uh, if you want to see what the Frank quietly art for Superman looks like. Yeah. I mean, Frank quietly does with visuals in Superman, what Sandra Cisneros does with language in house on mango street. It's just beautiful. Just to, just to look at like as a piece of art, it's really, yeah. every, really every now and then I would just stop and look at the way this, this, everything from, the lines to even the the uh, the layout of the page, like the panels work yeah. together in a way that not every comic book artist does, and he makes it seem effortless. Yeah, it's really really well done. The art is is beautiful. All right, well, I think that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to the protagonist in iTunes, and we would also encourage you to leave us a review there. Please leave a review. We have only a few. We'll start a counter once we clear three. We will start. <laughs> we'll be very excited once we get that fourth, yes. fourth review. Uh, so if you could take a minute and do that, we'd appreciate it. Hey, let me say it. something about that. Um, so we would love to have lots and lots more people listening to this thing. And one of the ways that our podcast gets found is on iTunes when people search for it. And the more reviews we have, the then it will float higher in search uh, results. That's why we ask you to go and leave 
uh, reviews on iTunes because it actually makes a big difference for us to have those um, the stars. You don't even have to write anything, but just to give it like a four or five star review um, bumps us up and helps us to be found. So it's not just to like yeah, and uh, please share links of this episode on social media if you got Facebook or Twitter or any of the other things kids are th- doing these days. <laughs> kids please. these days, <laughs> <laughs> please share it. Uh, spread the word. Um, if, if you've listened to this and enjoyed it, please just at least tell someone else about it. Uh, you can find links to everything we've talked about in this episode, along with a list of all of our previous shows at protagonistpodcast.com. And if you have suggestions of things you would like to hear us talk about or comments about the podcast, you can send us an email at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or you can find us on Twitter, uh, at protagonist pod. Uh, you can also find each of us on Twitter. There's at Todd K. Mack and at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And you can find the spelling of Dorowski on theprotagonistpodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, check out our Facebook group called Protagonist Podcast Group. Uh, Protagonist Podcast group. And we love any comments or corrections or suggestions for characters we can discuss. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and another great story. So and long. if you want to support us, then there's a link on our website uh, where you can um, uh, patronize us. That sounds so horrible. <laughs> you can become, you can a, become a patron. You can become a patron. Uh, we will definitely through, read your name off like an Patreon. episode of Masterpiece. Yeah, through Patreon. So um, if you feel like you're getting some value out of this, then uh, click on that support button on our website and uh, you could give us a couple bucks and that would be awesome. Help us keep the lights on and our family's happy. Our website and our website hosted. So, uh, <laughs> happy trails to you all. Okay, we're going to pause for a second for Andrew's editing because I've lost the tab.